Our planet Earth is a beautiful and complex collage of wildly varying terrain types, including, but not limited to, river valleys, forests, jungles, deserts, and mountains. These lands also contain a wide variety of resources. Our human ancestors made use of these resources to build civilization. Small settlements grew into villages, towns, and cities. City-states expanded into kingdoms and empires, as well as to build and create. Humanity's energy and resources have been used to take and destroy. Since the beginning of written history, humans, which are often selfish and greedy, have used force to exploit the labor of another man's hands and take his stuff. The earliest war in history we have a record of took place between Elam and the Sumerian king of Kish, who boasted that he carried away the spoils and weapons of Elam. Undoubtedly, there were many wars before this that we do not have records of, and many, many more that have been fought since. Of all the pieces of land on earth, one of the most contested and fought over has been the Levant. Roughly speaking, the Levant is the land around the eastern Mediterranean coast. The southern portion of the Levant has commonly been called the Land of Canaan. For thousands of years, a constant cavalcade of imperial armies have marched through and dominated this region. Canaan is not one of the most resource-rich regions on the planet, but it is one of the most strategically important, especially for many of history's most ambitious empire builders. Canaan was not only strategically important for the movement of armies, the region was also at the vital crossroads of all the major land routes for trade between Egypt and the greater Near East. Whoever controlled Canaan could regulate and tax the significant amount of trade that flowed through. However, controlling Canaan was never an easy task. For the relatively small size of its land area, there is an extreme topographical variation throughout the region. Different microclimates, terrain, and drastic changes in elevation naturally divide Canaan into many micro-regions. To oversimplify, most of Canaan can be divided into four broad categories. 1. The Coastal Plain 2. The Hill Country 3. The Jordan Rift River Valley 4. The Transjordanian Plateau If you looked at a cross-section of the land, it would look something like this. Because of science reasons, the vast majority of the region's significant rainfall falls to the west of the Jordan Rift and the land within the rift receives very little rainfall. Consequently, much of the best farmland has been located on the coastal plain. Because the coastal plain and hill country were largely dependent on seasonal rainfall, they were susceptible to periodic drought and famine. To survive, this made it necessary for the people of Canaan to store away sufficient food and water for a rainy day. Or more accurately, many non-rainy days. If enough food and water was not stored, the only two options left for the ill-prepared were conflict or migration. The natural division the terrain encouraged was pronounced in bad times, and the every man, tribe, town, and city for itself mentality that developed then carried over to the good times. Although their languages, religion, and culture were all quite similar, more often than not, the Canaanites were very divided. The Canaanites were the indigenous inhabitants of the region, primarily descended from those that had lived in Canaan during prehistoric times. In addition to fighting among themselves, the alternative option, which was to leave, was also common in bad times. Two of the early cradles of human civilization, Mesopotamia and Egypt, were the primary destinations for Canaanite refugees. The flat open river valleys of these regions offered plenty of fresh water and food, 
but little in the way of natural defense. In contrast, the hill country of Canaan had significant defensive advantages. The hill country's greatest weakness was possibly its greatest strength. The geographical division and elevation changes that made the land difficult to unite also made it difficult to conquer. Defensive locations in the hill country that also had access to water, from springs, rivers, streams, and rainwater, collected in cisterns, were often preferred as locations to build cities, compared to other locations with better farmland and little or no natural defense. Cities like Lachish, Jerusalem, Samaria, and Hebron were all power centers chosen for their strategic location that made them difficult to besiege. In the north, the hill country and the coastal plain merge. The Canaanites of that heavily forested region became expert seafarers and merchants, and their high-quality wood was in high demand throughout the ancient Mediterranean. These Canaanites were later known as the Phoenicians. While the hill country of Canaan is not particularly unusual, the Jordan Rift is one of the most extreme topographic features on our planet. The shore of the Dead Sea is the lowest point of land on Earth, while the Dead Sea itself and the Sea of Galilee are the two lowest lakes in the world. The north and south of the rift are also drastically different from each other. The lower south is very dry, and the Dead Sea is six times more salty than the ocean, so its utility is pretty limited. In contrast, the north is wetter, and the water is fresh. There is marshland, ample wildlife, and farmland. For approximately a thousand years, the city of Hazor was the leading city-state of the Northern Rift. The kings of Hazor were powerful enough to periodically command a coalition of northern Canaanite city-states. While there were many prosperous city-states in the Northern Rift, in the south, Jericho was the only notable city-state. This is largely due to the fact that Jericho has access to a significant amount of fresh water, a very rare commodity in the surrounding area. On the Transjordan Plateau, two civilizations, the Ammonites and the Moabites developed. They both became centralized kingdoms in the later 2nd millennium BC. They were centered around modest river valleys, which were fed by underground springs that flowed into the Jordan River. The north of the Transjordan region was dominated by the Amorites and later the Arameans, both coming from around what is now the Syrian highlands. The economy of Ammon and Moab were largely dependent on the outermost inland trade route that connected the Near East to Egypt. That trade route passed through Edom. Like the other Canaanites, Ammonites, and Moabites, the Edomites were a Semitic-speaking people. They possessed some of the least hospitable land in the region. Because quality farmland was in short supply, the Edomites were predominantly semi-nomadic pastoralists. Consequently, whenever they could not make a living off of taxing trade, they often turned to banditry. Raiding as far north as the Jezreel Valley, and to the west, to the borders of Egypt. As early as the first dynasty of Egyptian pharaohs, the strategic importance of Canaan was realized. At the site which would later become Gaza, the Egyptians built a fortress which guarded Egypt's economic and military interests in the region. After a few hundred years, that site was retaken by the coastal Canaanites. During the early Bronze Age, several fortified Canaanite towns grew into cities. The largest known sites of this period were Enesur, Megiddo, and Jericho. The last centuries of the early Bronze Age were marked by the depopulation and abandonment of the larger urban sites in Canaan. Smaller farming villages and a semi-nomadic way of life became more prevalent for a time. In the Middle Bronze Age, urbanism returned and increased. It was during this period that Hazor rose to become the leading city-state in northern Canaan while Ashdod and Ashkelon became the leading cities of the coastal plain. 
and Lachish, Jerusalem, and Hebron became the leading cities of the hill country. As the land prospered, and the trade flowing through the region increased, imperial powers began to increase military pressure on Canaan. Senwasret III is the first known Egyptian pharaoh to campaign in Canaan. There he vassalized kings and extracted tribute and plunder. While Egypt put pressure on the south, the Amorite kingdom of Quatna put pressure on the north. They extracted tribute, and Hazor became a nominal vassal of Quatna. Perhaps because of this military pressure, many Canaanites migrated into the Nile Delta. The Egyptians called the wave of migrants, who were predominantly, or entirely, comprised of Canaanites, the Hyksos. Around 1650 BC, the Hyksos overthrew the Egyptians, and ruled as pharaohs in the Nile Delta for a century, before being defeated and driven out by the Egyptians. A somewhat traumatized Egypt became heavily militarized, and their number one policy goal was to control Canaan and prevent a Hyksos-like event from ever happening again. From the onset of the Egyptian New Kingdom, pharaohs repeatedly campaigned throughout the Levant. They brought the entire region under their control, making the Canaanite city-states their vassals. During the reign of Thutmose III, many city-states in the Levant rebelled. And at the Battle of Megiddo, Thutmose III defeated a formidable coalition of Canaanite kings. The Battle of Megiddo is the earliest battle in history we have a written account of. The date, tactics, casualties, and plunder were all recorded. Including his campaign at Megiddo, it took Thutmose III 14 nearly yearly campaigns to put down all the rebellions in the Levant. The city of Megiddo controlled the entry and exit point to and from the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley, which is shaped like an arrowhead, sits at the intersection of all the major land routes that connect the Canaanite coastal plain with the rest of the Near East. Consequently, the site has been the venue for many battles throughout history. Ancient kings, emperors, medieval crusaders, Arabs, and Mongols have all fought and fell on the Valley of Jezreel. Napoleon and Saladin won battles there. And as recent as 1918, more than 90,000 troops of the British and Ottoman empires clashed in the Jezreel Valley near Megiddo. The battle lasted six days and ended with a British victory. According to the biblical account, Israel's first king Saul was slain in battle at the edge of the Jezreel Valley while fighting the Philistines. According to the biblical book of Revelation, the last battle will be fought on the Jezreel Valley, near Megiddo. A transliteration of the word Megiddo is Armageddon. On a slightly lighter note than the end of the world, the ancient Egyptians also realized the strategic importance of the Jezreel Valley. So they built a fortress military and administrative center at the junction of the Jezreel Valley and the Jordan Rift. For well over three and a half centuries, the Egyptians controlled Canaan. Although there were numerous rebellions and the loss and regaining of territory, the Egyptians were successful at their top priority, which was to control and protect the road of Horus, which allowed them to control military and economic movement in the region. To overgeneralize, things were pretty peaceful and prosperous for hundreds of years. Egypt engaged in diplomacy with other Near Eastern empires, and things were nice. Then, to cut a long story very short, in a short amount of time, empires collapsed, almost everyone died, people forgot how to read and write, and the whole Near East fell into a very, very, very dark age. This was called the Bronze Age Collapse. If you want to know more about the Bronze Age Collapse, I made some videos about it that you may be interested in. But back to Canaan. On the coastal plain, while things were falling apart, the Peleset, who were members of a band of baffling bad-time boat-bound brigands commonly referred to as the Sea Peoples, were resettled in Canaan after a felled amphibious assault on the Nile Delta. 
After a few decades, Egypt withdrew from Canaan. The Peleset, who were likely of Aegean origin, assimilated together with surviving Canaanites of the coastal plain, and they became the Philistines, who filled the power vacuum on the coastal plain, while Hebrew tribes filled the power vacuum in much of the interior. These tribes later formed into the Kingdom of Israel, which split into the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Israel's new capital city of Samaria became the new power center in the north, and was the longtime rival of the Aramean Kingdom of Damascus. The unconquered Canaanites on the northern coast recovered relatively quickly, and are more commonly known by their Greek name, the Phoenicians. They would go on to found the city of Carthage, which is famous for its wars with Rome and its brilliant general Hannibal. All of the states in the Levant were either conquered or vassalized by the Assyrian Empire. A long string of succeeding empires controlled the region. Over time, the common language of the region changed from Semitic dialects to Aramaic, and then Greek, and then Arabic. In a slow process, new people assimilated with the old. In today's modern population of the region, many are partial descendants of the ancient Canaanites. But exactly who is related to this ancient people? and to what proportion has been a matter of heated debate. However, whatever the case may be, we should all strive to treat our fellow human beings with dignity and respect. The way one treats people should be based on their actions they take, not whoever their ancestors were. This has been Epimetheus. Thank you for watching, and to my patrons, for making this video possible.